As a new parent, I've started to notice how often I see depictions of Noah's Ark for children. It seems like it's everywhere, ranging from toys to baby clothes to wallpaper and figurines. In my son Oliver's room, we too have a figure of Noah's Ark sitting next to his crib. And I know that we have at least two books about the Noah story at our house. I was putting Oliver to sleep one night this week, and the figurine of Noah's Ark was sitting on the shelf right next to me. And as I was rocking him to sleep, I kind of laughed as I thought, has anyone in the advertising business ever actually read the story of Noah's Ark? It is not exactly a carnival cruise ship. It's actually one of the most violent stories of destruction in all of scripture. So it seems a rather interesting selection for a story that is so often used with children. A closer look into that story is where we find that God had commanded Noah to make the ark only because God had decided to wipe out every other living creature on the planet. And so the animals are obviously an integral part of this familiar narrative, but they're not the only important part of the story. Now, the story of Noah's Ark is probably familiar to all of us, and I don't really think that we read this particular story in the wrong way. It is, after all, a wonderful testament to the saving, forgiving, and merciful nature of God. But the Noah story is an example of where we sometimes fall into the trap of selectively reading scripture the way we want to hear it. And somehow in the translation, we seize words of comfort while ignoring words of judgment. And oftentimes we hear the stories that make us feel good while neglecting those that challenge us. I believe that today's fiery gospel reading from Luke is a prime example of a passage of scripture that falls into the category of selective hearing. When I looked at the readings for today, I began to think that this would have been a great weekend to be on vacation. (laughs) One of my colleagues yesterday referred to today's passage as an example of the pre-coffee Jesus. Now, I can honestly say that I don't remember hearing this morning's gospel passage from Luke when I was in Sunday school. I'm not too familiar with this side of Jesus who says to his disciples, Do you think that I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. What happened to the Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so? And what happened to last week's Jesus, the one who said, Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And where did the Jesus go who says, Come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will refresh you? That's the Jesus that I'm used to hearing about, and I think that we all like that Jesus. But when it comes to passages like today's Gospel from Luke, my selective hearing kicks into overdrive and it leaves me wanting to hang out and wait until next week, where hopefully the Jesus who welcomes children or the one who calms storms will make a return appearance. But the reality is that if we profess the Christian faith, then we are compelled to accept sacred scripture in its entirety. Can we question it? Of course we can. But it is not our right to be selective, to pick and choose only what we like best. Sometimes our sacred scripture is comforting. It's almost therapeutic. 
But sometimes it's challenging, and sometimes it's confusing. And when taken in its entirety, I believe what we find is that the Christian faith is lived on God's terms after all, and not our own. And we can't just take what we want from Scripture, but I do believe that we are given exactly what we need. There's an Episcopal priest in Lynchburg, Virginia, who retells a story about Beethoven, the great composer, who used to sometimes play a trick on polite salon audiences, especially when he guessed that they were not really interested in serious music. Beethoven would perform a piece on the piano, one of his own slow movements, which would be gentle and beautiful, and everyone would be lulled into thinking that the world was a soft, cozy place where they could think beautiful thoughts and relax into a semi-slumber. And then just as the final notes were dying away, Beethoven would bring his whole forearm down, crashing across the keyboard, and then laugh at the shock that he gave his audience. It's a bit cruel and impolite, perhaps, but the shock of the crash of those notes interrupting a peaceful melody is a good image for what Jesus has to say in today's gospel. So how are we to understand Jesus' statement this morning that he brings fire to the earth and division, not peace? How can the Jesus who tells a parable of reconciliation between a father and a son be the same one who calls for setting parents against their children and children against their parents? Wasn't Jesus the one who taught his followers to bring greetings of peace as they traveled the country to share his good news? And wasn't Jesus the one who said, My peace I give to you, my peace I leave with you? Considering everything that we know about the loving, peace-bearing Jesus, the words that we hear in today's gospel sound more like Beethoven's forearm crashing down on those piano keys. And in light of his own example and the testimony of his preaching, we're left wondering what can Jesus' words of judgment and division and unrest possibly mean? I think in order for us to understand the difficult words coming from Jesus, we must first realize that today's reading in Luke notifies a significant shift in the gospel. Today's reading comes in the context of when Jesus begins to set his face towards Jerusalem. And the the proper backdrop for this text rests with those somber final days that lead up to Good Friday. And in this reading today, Jesus was aware that his time on earth was limited, and he had begun to run out of options. His own mortality was now becoming very real, and today's reading informs us that Jesus was under a great deal of stress until his mission was completed. I think that today's passage from Luke would be a lot easier if I could cleverly explain it away. I wish that I could say what Jesus really meant to say was this or that. Or that maybe the message got mixed up in the original translation from Aramaic to Greek, but what Jesus really meant was this or that. But I can't say that this morning because I don't think that it's true. But it would have made my job a lot easier today. I read from a lot of scholars this week who have an opinion about today's reading. Some were helpful, some not so much. But as I struggled to make sense of Jesus' words this week, I found myself in agreement with theologian Sarah Brewer, who serves on the Executive Council for the Episcopal Church. 
And I, like Sarah, believe that Jesus meant exactly what he says in Luke's gospel. What it really boils down to is that Jesus tells his friends that following him will cause conflict and division, even division between family members. Sarah Brewer says that Jesus is giving a descriptive statement, and as shocking as it may seem, it's not hard to see the truth of it if you're familiar with what Jesus says and does in the Gospels. So this morning, if we could imagine for a moment a scene when Peter goes back to his mother-in-law and says, Hey, Mom, I've got some important news. I'm not going fishing tomorrow morning, and I don't know if I'll ever pick up a fishing net again. I'm glad that you were healed of that fever, and I hope you don't catch one again, because I have to tell you that I'm probably not going to be around anymore to help take care of you. The reason is, that man who healed you asked me to follow him as he travels around teaching and healing, so I'm just going to go ahead and do it. I'm pretty confident that that God's kingdom is breaking through in this guy's work, and that's just too important for me to stay here and take care of you. In her article, Sarah Brewer asks readers to place themselves in the context of Peter's mother-in-law. And so how would you feel if, if your son or your daughter spoke those words to you? In the first century, there was no social security to fall back on. If you're Peter's mother-in-law, Peter is the closest thing that you have to social security. And now he is leaving you to follow a zealous preacher. And so I can imagine that what Peter's mother-in-law felt was betrayed, abandoned, despised, and even shamed. But Peter's family wouldn't be the only one asking pointed questions or even shouting curses at those who were leaving their lives to follow Jesus' ministry. It's not that difficult, upon a few close readings of the Gospels, to come up with a laundry list of others who would be feeling just as hurt and just as angry and who might attack the disciples, or especially their family members, who were following Jesus. Their attacks may have come by words, or they may have come by more than words. And so Sarah Brewer says that that's not all that can or should be said about this Sunday's gospel. It is true that Jesus' ministry did and still does dislocate those who follow him from the ways of life and from the relationships that they were in. And it's true that being extricated from those patterns and those relationships can be painful to all concerned. But it's also true that sometimes, if not often, the only way to find freedom to live in new ways and to form new and healthier relationships is to be extricated or dislocated from the old ones. It's true that Jesus does, in fact, challenge fathers and mothers and sisters and daughters and sons and brothers. But in today's gospel reading, I believe that Jesus was challenging his audience to experience life in a way that they could have never imagined. Jesus' message was focused on showing people how relationships could be in the world and what might come of them if they were to believe that the kingdom of God was breaking through into this world. And this new way of being in relationship would allow people to live as though the kingdom of God was in the here and in the now. And for Jesus' audience in the first century, this was a seismic shift 
And so he could not sugarcoat his words. But I think ultimately, today's reading is a lesson about breaking and being made whole. And throughout salvation history, the story of breaking and being made whole is a core element to the story of God's people. We saw it in our first reading in Jeremiah's description of the faithful prophet of God, whose word may be a hammer that breaks, but whose witness calls God's people to wholeness. We find it in Luke's gospel as Jesus warns that following him will cause conflict and division. But doing so is the path of truth that leads to life eternal. And so today we are reminded that Jesus' words are not always easy. Sometimes they challenge us. But I do believe that if we let Christ's message break through to our hearts and to our minds and to our actions, they will always lead us on the path to wholeness. Amen.